Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're new with us, you received a a yellow connection card in your program, and you just fill that out, put whatever contact info you want on there, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes by later, and we'll shoot you an email or give you a call. If you filled one of those out and you never received an email, it's either in your junk or spam or whatever you call it, or your email address was spelled maybe not wrongly, but we can decipher it. <laughs> so fill another one out. You, if you've ever filled one of those out, I do those. So I know I sent you an email or I contacted you. So um, just make sure it's legible and we just love to grab lunch or coffee with you and get to know you better. So, all right. Missy just read uh, one of the most controversial passages in all of the Bible, okay? And if you notice... The two middle verses in there, um, obviously, at Trinity Life, at our church, ah, oh, that's better, right? Yeah, something happened there, yeah. At our church, we, oh, it's wor- what's worse? The sound is worse? Ah, okay, I'm back. All right. Uh, obviously, if you notice, at Trinity Life Church, at our church, What's plainly stated in the text, we don't do here. Something's, so there's something else going on in this text, okay? Because this morning, Melanie's hosting our service, and she's a woman, so, and, and Missy read scripture, and she's a woman. Uh, Julia's up there helping lead in worship, and she is also a woman. So uh, what is, there's something else happening in these verses, and we're going to walk through that uh, this morning. But what I don't want us to do is spend all of our time on two verses, on those two verses, okay? Because this passage is about something else. This passage is about worship, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But before I studied this passage, before I sat down, prepped the sermon, before I read it, I asked God to prepare my heart to receive. I asked God to help me hear what, what he wants in this passage, what he wants for our church, what he wants for you, what he wants for me. I asked him to take away any uh, sin that might be obscuring my vision of this passage. I asked him to take away any cultural background, any uh, family background, any hurts I've had in the past that may obscure how I understand this passage. Okay, so as a church this morning, and I want us to do that together. Before, I, before we jump into this passage, I want, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And you may, not, you, may not be, you may be new to church, may not be a follower of Jesus, but maybe this is your first time when you, say, when you pray to God and say, yeah, give me, let me hear your voice this morning. So I want all of you guys for the next 15, 30 seconds to just say to God, God, help me understand this passage like you want us to. And that's it. Take away anything out of me that, that is obscuring vision, that, 
that's causing me to mishear things, any past hurts, any family background, culture, whatever it is, just give that to God this morning, and then I'll close this out. So just take the next 15, 30 seconds to do that. Father, we recognize this morning that this is your word, and we ask that you'd give us ears to hear, that you would um, give us hearts that are open, you would give us clear vision, and that we would uh, seek together as a church to understand what's in, what's in this passage of Scripture and how it applies to us today. We give this over to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay. We have to trust that God is doing something in us. You have to trust that if we say that to God, then, then he's going to do something in our hearts to, to open us up to what he wants to say this morning. Okay? Um, so growing up, my mom... <clears throat> I love my mom, have a great relationship with my mom. She is, she's fun, she's awesome, but she's not your, she's not your, she's not your typical mom. She's, uh, she's not your typical like nurturing, caring mom. She grew up in Thailand, so I'm half Thai. She grew up in Thailand uh, in uh, pretty much third world Thailand, like uh, grew up on a tapioca farm in the jungle. Um, no electricity, no running water, no washroom. Uh, I, the house, they, I don't know if you can call it a house that they lived in, which is like a bunch of two-by-fours stuck together. Um, really rough growing up. She had, to, she had to walk a few kilometers just to get water every day to bring it back from this dirty pond that they had to boil it out of. Um, at the age of four, she's like cooking, she's cooking meals for her family at the age of four, which means she's making a fire by the age of four. Remember, no electricity. How are they cooking food? Fire. So the age of four, and I'm telling my girls this the other day, I'm like, they're like, can we learn how to make fire? <laughs> I'm like, no. Uh, so, but like, at the age of four, she's providing for a family. Um, and so she had a, a totally different upbringing than what we would have being here in the West, um, for those of you who were, who were born uh, in, the, in uh, the Western Hemisphere. So... Um, she, that's, that's her, that's her upbringing. So when she immigrated to the, when she immigrated to the West, though, um, she's actually very highly undervalued because, because of her upbringing, she only has a, like, maybe grade four education. Grade four in Thailand, I don't know what the equivalent would be here in Canada maybe less, maybe that's a grade one education here. But in Thailand, she has like a grade four education, and that's it. Um, she, she speaks English with an accent, she's, she's fluent, but she speaks English with an accent, she messes up grammar sometimes, so then, then you know, people might think she's less intelligent. Uh, she never had a career where she worked outside of the home when she moved to the West, although, since probably about the age of eight, she was working outside of the home to provide for her family, like away, like she moved away from her family to do this. Um, but in the West, she never had a, a career. So people would look at her and say, oh, she's not a strong, independent woman. People would look at her and say, oh, she's not, and they don't know her background, right? They don't know that what she, her upbringing was like growing up. And, and so they might say, oh, she's not very intelligent, although, she speaks multiple languages. Uh, they would say, oh, well, she's not, um, or she's incapable of doing certain things, although, like I told you, she was making fires at four years old. Um, 
But our culture would look at her and say, well, and they would, well, they would just undervalue her and undervalue what she brings. And growing up for me, and well, here's another thing about my mom. She's always right. My mom, she's just always right. Like, not almost always right. She's probably always right. <laughs> Though she's, she's just always right. And, but growing up in, and I grew up in mostly a Western context, and growing up, I always had this battle with how the culture viewed my mom and how I viewed my mom. Because I knew those things about my mom. I knew those things to be true, her upbringing to be true. But I also knew that the culture undervalued her and thought, well, she's less intelligent or she's less, or she's, she's weaker or she's not as independent, you know, things like that. And, and I always battled that. And I always felt like I had to defend my mom and defend her to my friends or to, to other adults or to the culture, even though I knew these things to be true about my mom, that she wasn't those lies. Like she was intelligent. She is a strong woman. She is, she's, uh, I mean, she's, yeah, she's just awesome. All those things. But it was always this, this, this kind of tug of war with, with me and the culture. And the culture would, would kind of influence how I viewed my mom. So that sometimes I would view her in the way that the culture would view her. And I'm like ashamed to say this, Mom, I hope you're not listening to this. <laughs> but uh, because, because it's just so overwhelming, the culture is so overwhelming. Um, but like I said, my mom was always right, and she doesn't have a problem telling you when she's right. She doesn't have a problem saying, I told you that would happen. I told you. So I'm going to give you some examples. Um, I don't know exactly what my mom said in these situations, but I'm going to give you an example of what I know she would have said. In all probability, she would have said this. These are real-life examples. Grade two, I lost my favorite toy. I, come, I took it to school or something. I come home, and I'm totally upset about it. And a regular nurturing, caring mom would say, oh, sweet, I'm so sorry. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll find another one. You know, or, hey, there's all these other toys you can play with. She just said, she would say, I told you, if you did that, if you took it out of the house, you're going to lose it. Just get over it. <laughs> like, that's... that's Something typical my mom would say. Uh, grade, let's see. Um, yeah, I don't, so grade, that was grade two, I think. Uh, grade, <laughs> grade seven, uh, this, this guy, this guy, um, well, let me, yeah, grade seven. No, this is grade five, sorry, sorry. Grade five, riding my bike, my friends and I built this awesome ramp. You ride your bike off this ramp, you get some air. I had a, like a little BMX bike. Get, get this air and, you know, you're, you're a superhero. Um, well, I sliced my thigh open. So I went off the ramp, sliced my thigh open. I'm, pr I'm pretty much like bleeding out. And I'm like, people are carrying me home and I got this huge gash in my leg. And my mom, this is actually legit because there's another mom there saying, oh, we need to take him to the doctor, we need to take him to the hospital. My mom's like, told you if we went off that ramp, you can be scarred for life. She's like, we're not going to the doctor. We're not, you're not getting stitches. And to this day, on my thigh, I have a scar this big on my, on my thigh. She's like, it'll heal. Grade seven. <laughs> grade seven on the bus. And this, yeah, grade seven on the bus, riding home from school. And I was a runt like, growing up. I was 5'2 until I was in uh, grade 12. So 
Grade seven, I was tiny, I was smaller than everybody else. And this bigger guy uh, goes, <laughs> he, he strangles me on the bus <laughs> and attacks me. I come home, I tell my mom. Typical mom would say, oh man, I'm sorry that happened to you. Let's not let that happen again. Let's talk to his parents. Let's go talk to the school. This shouldn't happen again. My mom says, if I told you, if you acted like that, you would be choked out. <laughs> like, stand up for yourself next time. <laughs> be, be better. Like, she's just really tough. Like I said, she doesn't have a problem with saying, I told you so. I'm right. For, and for 40, almost 40 years, not for, I'm, I'll be 37 this year, so for almost four decades of my life, I've lived, lived with my mom being right all the time. And to this day, I still question her judgment a lot. When she says something, I'm like, no, no. And then what happens is like, I told you so a week later. This is a picture of our relationship with God and with the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that the scriptures are always right. You know that. You should know that. When you commit to following Jesus, you commit to the authority of the scriptures in your life. And you know they're always right. But whenever a passage like this comes up, we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Whenever something hard comes up, we're like, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe we should just throw that out. Some people don't even read Paul because of things like this. They like take out a third of the scriptures and they just throw them away. What we should say is, what are we missing here? We know the scriptures. We start with that premise. We know the scriptures are right. What does this mean for us? Okay? Our culture, though, influences us. Just like me growing up and my mom, our culture influences us, and, and our culture views God in that way. Oh, if you believe in this, you're less intelligent. If you believe in this, you're less tolerant. If you believe in this, you're less this, less this, less this. And our culture begins to influence the way we view the authority of the Scriptures and the Word of God. But if you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you have committed to that authority. If you haven't, then I question whether you're following Jesus or not. Okay, so going into this this morning, we want to say as a church, and I don't know where each of you guys is individually, but as a church, we stand on the Word of God, and we stand under the authority of the Word of God. So if we're going to start there, we need to say, okay, how do we interpret this? Because <laughs> this is a really tough passage. Okay, and what I want you guys to see is that this whole passage, this whole time, What's been happening here, the whole thrust of 1 Corinthians has been pursue love, build others up, the unity of the body, spiritual gifts. All these things have been going towards this passage. And what we shouldn't do is let two verses, verses 34 and 35, inform 435 verses in 1 Corinthians. We shouldn't say these two verses now change the entire tone of the book when we know the entire tone has been pursue love, build others up, humility, um, uh, unity, these, these things, okay? So let's keep this in context. This passage is about worship. And what God wants for us in worship is this. This is the bottom line for today. And I'm going to take this throughout the entire sermon. That worship is about experiencing the heart of God. So we are about expressing the heart of God. Worship is about experiencing the heart of God, 
So we are about expressing the heart of God. And you can't express the heart of God unless you've experienced the heart of God in worship. And you can't express the heart of God unless you know what the heart of God is. And I just want to say up front that that passage that we read this morning, if you're a woman in here this morning, which probably about half of you guys are, this passage is not meant to hold you down, to disempower you, to, to, to hold you back, okay? This is, this passage, these two verses are in the context of this. It's about experiencing the heart of God and expressing the heart of God, okay? So just bear with me as we get to those two verses. You guys are just going to wait for, for those two verses, but it's going to take us a little bit to get there. So let's start in, in verse 26. He says, what then, brothers? And he's referring back to verses 24 and 25. He's asking a question based on that. And in verses 24 and 25, he says, when the community gathers, when the assembly of God happens, when the church comes together and someone walks into the church and doesn't know God, this should happen. And he says a few things, I think four things. He says, one, they should be convicted. Two, they should uh, walk into accountability in the community. Three, the secrets of their heart will be disclosed. They'll, they'll experience confession and they'll confess sin. They'll move out of hiddenness and darkness into light and life. And then he says they will fall on their face and worship God and recognize and declare that God is among us. That should happen in worship. That's the heart of God. That's what God wants for us in worship. He wants us to see, he wants those things to happen, and he wants us to recognize that his presence is here. So when he says, what then, brothers? Brothers is, is not the best um, uh, translation because it's kind of foreign to us. Uh, basically, it, it's like him saying, what then, close friends or dear friends? So he's saying friends, like close friends, what's, what's going on here? And, and that, that word also includes it's not just male includes female. It's, it's both. So what then, dear friends? When you come together, unity, right? This is unity. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a song, a lesson, a teaching, instruction, a revelation, something that God's disclosed. We talked about prophecy last week. So if you want to know more about revelation and prophecy, you can listen to that sermon last week. I'm not going to rehash it here this week. But I will say that remember what Joel says and remember what Acts says about prophecy. That the Spirit of God has been poured out on all of us if we're followers of Jesus. The Spirit of God has been poured out on all of us, sons and daughters, men and women. That's what that passage says. Okay, keep that in mind. So when we're talking about this passage here, this is everybody, okay? This is everybody, male, female alike. You come together, you have a revelation, a tongue, a word from God, an interpretation, and Paul reminds us what the heart of God is here again. When we worship, it should be done for building up, for edification, for exhortation, for encouragement, for consolation, for, for just building each other up, for support, okay? Verse... 27, 27. Verses 27 through 30, Paul gives principles for worship. And uh, some, he gives some specific ones for what was going on in the church there at Corinth. But this is the underlying principle that, that undergirds all these principles is, is this. I think, I think I have it up here. It's, it's the structure one. Do you have that? Um, if not, I'll, I'll try to remember it. Uh, it's... Paul's giving some structure and some order 
to what's going on in, in, this, in this church here. And structure was never meant to imprison the spirit. It was meant to release us and free us to participate with the spirit. Okay, oftentimes we think structure confines, but structure in worship is there to free us to participate with the spirit. Okay, and Paul gives these things here. It's why you come in this, ah, oh, there it is, yeah. It's, I got it mostly right. It's why uh, you, when we come in here, um, it's not just a free-for-all. It's not just, hey, you want to say something? Yeah, you want to say, yeah, go, go. What was happening in the church at Corinth is people were, like someone was speaking up here because God gave them a word, and then someone would start shouting out something over there, and then someone would start shouting out something over there, and someone would start speaking in a tongue over there, prophesying over there. All these people just started speaking all over the place. And he's saying, no, 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 there has to be a certain order. If we're going to hear what God has to say, and it's actually going to build up the church, then certain things need to happen. So he goes, goes through this, and uh, in verse 27, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at most. So each in his turn. So he says, we need to take turns in doing this. And it needs to be intelligible. We have to understand what you're saying, because in verse 28, he says, if we don't, that person just needs to keep silent. And what he's saying there is that person shouldn't disrupt what God is trying to speak and what God is trying to do in the worship gathering. And when I talk about worship gathering, guys, it's not just this. We're talking about small groups. We're talking about um, um, other, other uh, environments as well. So he says, if, if there's no one to interpret, if it's not intelligible, if it doesn't upbuild the church, we talked about tongues last week, so I'm not going to rehash that again. He says that person should just not disrupt what God is doing. They should stay silent. Okay? Keep that in mind. This is the same word that's used in the next pat the next few verses and it's the same word that's used in the passage on on the women in the church okay that's key so same same terminology here so oftentimes we rip passages out of their context kicking and screaming and we say oh women should be silent in church we take this passage but paul is is giving principles for orderly worship all throughout this passage. And he's already told a certain group to stay silent, okay? That's, that's key. We're talking about groups here. We'll get to that more in a second. So he says that if you can't, if, can, um, if it's not intelligible, stay silent. Verse 29, again, prophets take turns. Everyone else uh, and, and the other prophets weigh what is said and they, they evaluate the prophecy. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, uh, test everything, hold fast to what is good. And then verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So for instance, if I'm speaking here and Melanie says, oh, God's given me something to say to the church, I will go sit down, she would come up, and, and she would share. And it's just an orderly fashion. It's saying what's, what's proper. And this is, this is huge because verse 31 says this, it says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. God doesn't just speak through one person in the church. That's really key for us to, to see in this passage. God, and, and the, I know the way we structure church sometimes, it feels like that, but the way we have structured and ordered Trinity life is so that that isn't the case. Now, 
I'm going to speak for the biggest chunk of time. Um, sorry, but that's just how it is. I'm going to speak for the biggest chunk of time. But Melanie spoke this morning. Missy spoke this morning. Jamie spoke this morning. Melanie will speak again. Uh, we'll have other people speak after, after I speak. Because we want this to be a worship service where, where not just one person is speaking, but all can prophesy, all can give a word from the Lord in order that we may learn and be encouraged. And then verse 32, he says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And that's when I reference in 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is not, this is, this does not, um, uh, this is not to a specific, this is not to a specific male or a specific female. It's, it doesn't exclude anybody. He's saying this is to everybody. Okay. <clears throat> you guys tracking with me so far? All right. So then verse 33. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If God is a God of order and peace and understanding, then the things that cause disorder, disunity, contention, and confusion are not of God. And you might be saying, well, what about this passage? <laughs> it feels like it's very confusing to us. We're going to get there in a second. But things that cause contention and confusion and disorder are not of God. Okay? Because God is a God of peace, and that informs the rest of this passage. So, before I jump into verses 34 and 35, I'm going to give you some principles. And I want us to, I'm going to give us some truths to go by. And I want you to consider this morning accepting these truths if you haven't already, because that's going to help us understand this passage. So number one, <clears throat> when you approach God's word, we need to understand these things. If you misunderstand God's word, you've missed something in yourself. A lot of times when we misunderstand God's word, we point to God's word and say, oh, something's off there. What we should do is point to ourselves and say, something's off here, okay? I don't know what it is. If you misunderstand God's word, it could be a sin issue for you. That's why we prayed, prayed that away this morning, hopefully. If you misunderstand God's word, it could just be a comprehension issue. Comprehension issue, yeah, yeah, I said that right. If you, if you misunderstand God's word, it could be um, any number of things. It could be uh, you're just distracted. It could be, yeah, any of those things, except it's not a God issue. God's word and the teaching in God's word is clear. That is a characteristic of the scriptures. Uh, theologians call it perspicuity. It's clear in its teaching. That's something, when we approach the, the Word of God, we know that it's authoritative, we know that it's sufficient, we know that it's clear, we know that it's God's revelation, and, and we submit ourselves under that. So when you approach God's Word, you need to approach it with the understanding that His teaching is clear. So if we don't understand something, it's because we've missed something in us. And that's where, where the Spirit comes in, and, and we say, Spirit, this is your book, this is your word, you wrote these, you wrote these words, 
fill us up to help us understand. Illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, uh, disclose sin, confess, you know, this is your time to confess sin. This is your time to just be naked before God and say, I'm, all I am is yours, and, and, and here I am. And, and that's how you're really going to understand the scriptures. You're recognizing your own presuppositions, your own sin, diff- different things, and you're trying to approach the text with a clear, underst- a, a clear vision, I should say. Okay? So if you misunderstand God's word, you miss something in yourself. Two, if you approach God's word in fear, you've set yourself up for failure. This is what I mean. There's a couple passages in the scriptures that are pretty hard. This is one of them. But if we approach it saying, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know, God. I don't, I don't know if I want to hear what, what's in here. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I can accept this. Then you've already set yourself up for failure, okay? You want to say, God, whatever is in here, because of the authority of the word, whatever is in here, I want to accept whatever it is. Because if you approach it saying, I don't know, God, you've already inserted fear, you've already inserted your own whatever, misperceptions, understandings, interpretations, and it leads to false teaching. It leads to false interpretations. So you wanna, you wanna, we want to approach the Word of God with knowing that God has our best interests at heart. We want to approach the Word of God knowing that God wants to build us up because that's the heart of God. We want to approach the Word of God knowing that God wants to reveal things in us to draw us closer to Him. That's His heart in worship. Okay, we want to approach God knowing that he is good, not that he is up there as a father who is waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. That's not God. But you have to know the heart of God in order to not be fearful. And you have to actually, which is kind of funny, you actually have to fear the Lord. <laughs> um, now, that's the fear I'm talking about is an unhealthy fear. Fearing God is just recognizing who he is, right? And so that's, that's number two. You don't want to set yourself up for failure. Number three, if you cannot accept God's word because it's hard, then it's because your heart is hard. That's a hard statement. If you can't accept God's word because it's hard, it's because your heart is hard. And this is how you remedy it. Not all is lost. You remedy it by this. God, show me what in me is making this difficult for me to accept. God, show me why this is hard for me. Reveal that to me. I want to be more like you, Jesus. That's a simple prayer that you pray in order to overcome that. Because there's so many hard things in God's word. This isn't the only thing. If you just read through the Gospels and if you, if you pay attention to what Jesus says, following Jesus is hard. It's not easy. It's extremely difficult. And if... If most of us read through that, most of us, this is probably why most of the world has says, no, I don't, I don't want that, because it's hard. But that's because our hearts are hard. And we, like I said, we remedy that by that simple prayer. So these, these three things I want us to take into this passage. And there's, so this passage is, Missy read it earlier, um, it's just two verses out of the 435 verses that are in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's just to, like I said, they should not totally dictate the overall tone and message of the book. Okay, we should take the overall tone and the message of the book. Love, unity, humility, building up, encouragement, 
And now look at these two verses in light of the overall theme and message of this book. Okay? So here's a few things we know about these verses. We know that these things are true. Um, and that's all we can go off of. What we know is actually true based on the book and these verses. And then after we talk about the, or as we talk about these, I'm just going to give you, so you see here, there's at least nine views that people take in regard to these verses. At least nine. Okay, so these verses are hotly debated. They're, there's a lot of misinterpretations. There's pros and cons to each of these, each of these views, um, some more than others. Uh, probably about seven of these views, I would just discount right off the bat. Um, but they're out there. Uh, so, we're, but as we go through this, I'm going to give you the most stable view and what my understanding of this text is. Okay? So, <clears throat> spiritual gifts, we know this to be true. Spiritual gifts are being misused in the church at Corinth. We know that's true. Paul has addressed spiritual gifts since chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, he told them it needs to be done in love. In chapter 14, he honed in on two specific gifts and said they need to operate in this way because you're abusing these two in particular. So we know this is happening. We know there's discord and disunity in the church. We know from 1 Corinthians 1 that there's factions in the church, that the church is divided. Okay? And Paul is saying, that's why Paul talks about unity so much because the church has been divided. So we know this is happening in the church, okay, at Corinth. Uh, the next one, we know this to be true. Women are free to use word gifts or speaking gifts in the church at Corinth. We know that's true because it's in the uh, chapter 11. We know it's true in Corinthians because we've already seen Paul talk about it. So when Paul says, and that should be enough, for us to say when Paul says women should be silent in the church, he doesn't actually mean that's a universal principle for all time, a blanket statement. He means something different, okay? Because we've already seen women in the church speaking um, in, earlier in the book. Okay? And, and like I said, there's no, there's no qualification on who brings a hymn, who brings a lesson, who brings a revelation, who brings a tongue. Paul didn't qualify that. He's like, everyone's free to do that. We all can prophesy, he says. Okay, we all have the capability to do that. So we know that's true. I could just stop there and say, well, that's, that totally informs how we, how we view the, the, these two verses. But there's more. So we know this. Silent is the same word used as in the other verses. I mentioned this before, that Paul is talking about order and not disrupting the worship gathering. There's a group who's doing it with tongues. There's a group who's doing it um, in, in prophesying. And now we have a group, and they are women in this case. We have a group in the church who are doing it for another reason. We don't know why. We don't need to know why. We don't know the background. We don't need to know the background. All we know is that Paul's been addressing groups. Here's another group. It just happens to be all women. He's not making a blanket statement on women. Because, like I said just a few chapters earlier, he's encouraging women to do this. If you look at the scriptures, the scriptures, a lot of our culture thinks the scriptures is a book that holds back women and, and doesn't empower women. It's actually the opposite. And I'm just going to give one example. The book of Proverbs in, in the Old Testament 
in the Hebrew Scriptures was written many, 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 many years ago, ancient Near Eastern literature. It's the book of wisdom in the Bible. It's the book of wisdom, okay? And there's no other text like this in ancient Near Eastern literature. You can scour, and I'm talking about like secular, religious, any ancient Near Eastern literature, you can scour the the libraries and, and all that, and you won't find a text like Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman, talks about how the woman is strong, how the woman provides for uh, her household, how she um, is, how the husband is praised in the gates because of her. And then at the end it says she's actually the one who's praised. And that's how the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible ends. It ends with not tearing the woman down. It ends with elevating the woman and building her up. The scriptures have a history of doing this, okay? And when people outside of the church, and maybe some of you have done this, when you say the scriptures don't do this, they just tear women down, it's because you've taken these two verses out of their context and you don't understand it, or you're taking another verse out of its context and you don't understand what Paul is doing here, okay? So know that silent is the same, same thing here, and he's talking about just not disrupting. It's not like we read it really harshly, and Paul's just saying, hey, just don't disrupt somebody else. It's actually just being considerate of the other person who's talking. Okay, same thing's happening in this passage. Is there one more or two more? Two more. Uh, next one. This is addressed to... Okay, I just said that. Uh, let's go to the next one. This last one, and I kind of said this too. Um, the heart of God isn't to hold you down. It's to build you up. That's the heart of God for us in worship, guys. That's what God wants for us. When you come into the assembly, when you come into the community of believers, when you, when you worship God on your own with the scriptures and, and, and you're reading the scriptures on your own and praying on your own, when you're in your small group and you're, and you're worshiping there, um, God wants you to be built up. He's not trying to hold you back. He's not trying to push you down. He's trying to release you to participate with his spirit. But that means there has to be a certain structure and order. And that's what Paul has been dealing with here. In these last few verses, and that may not, this whole explanation may not be sufficient for you. You may still have questions. And two things. One, we can talk about it afterwards. And two, that's okay. You don't have to understand every single thing to say, I believe that this is true. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible, because odds are we're never going to understand everything about the Bible, to trust in Jesus. And at the end of the day, this is about hearing God, trusting, and obeying. It's about your discipleship. Okay? So these last few verses, verses 36 to, to 40, the emphasis here is not on the, spirit, is not on the person, it's on the spiritual gift. He says here in verse 39, earnestly desire to prophesy. He doesn't say earnestly desire to be a prophet. He says earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. All things should be done decently or, or properly and in order. And he's saying here that at the end of the day, our gifts, the exercise of our gifts when we are a um, an avenue for the Spirit to work, and when, when the gifts are working, they don't point to the person using the gifts, 
they point to Jesus. So when you exercise your spiritual gifts, they should never point to you, they should point to him. And it's no mistake that Paul ends, that Paul, right after this passage, he goes into the gospel. It's no mistake that he goes from this right into the experience of Christ. And he says, remember what Jesus did for you. He says, remember the gospel, friends. Remember that this is what unites us. Remember that we're here and we were coming together and we're unified only because of one thing, Jesus Christ. It's only because of him that we can live in this way. It's only because of him that we do what we do. It's only because of him. And he goes into this beautiful picture of the gospel. And for us, this should inform who we are as a church. This should inform what we're supposed to do as a church. This should, should inform what you're supposed to do as an individual. Because what, what Jesus does is he, or what Paul does is he shows us Christ's experience. And, and through those 10, 15 verses and in verse 15, however many it is, he shows us the experience of Christ. He reminds us of what the gospel was. He reminds us that Christ gave his life for you. That he, that he stepped out of heaven, that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he was, ro- that he was raised on the third day f- from the dead for you so that we wouldn't have to live in sin anymore, so that we wouldn't have to live in blindness anymore, so we wouldn't have to live in darkness anymore. He's called us out into marvelous light, the scriptures say. And then he reminds us that other people have experienced this around us. And he points the church to that and he says, look at all these other people who have been witnesses to this, whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, just look at the lives around you. In this church, look at the lives that are being transformed by Jesus. And then he reminds them by pointing to himself of what God has done for them specifically. And for you this morning as a follower of Jesus, your faith is built on the experience of Christ. You've seen other people uh, live out in that experience, and then you've experienced it yourself. You've experienced this transformation yourself. And Paul reminds us that that's the beauty of the gospel. And he reminds us of the most fundamental truth of the gospel for our lives. And my exhortation to us this morning is for us not to get distracted by things that aren't fundamental truths. Which is why Paul says, there's that, but remember who you are. Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember how everyone around you has been transformed by the same gospel. And remember what unifies us together. It's the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we, in our response time, and take communion this morning, that's what this represents. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to celebrate that this morning. And you get to say yes to the body of Christ being broken uh, for you. And yes to the body, uh, to the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And you get to say, I believe this today. And I've submitted myself to, to Jesus today and his authority. And I believe that Yes, he wants this for me. I believe that he wants to set me free from the bondage of sin, that he wants to bring me out of darkness into light, that he wants to open my eyes. And you get to say yes to that this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're celebrating. If you're not a follower of Jesus, 
this may be an opportunity for you this morning to, to celebrate that with, with the body of Christ this morning. But if, if you're not ready for that, um, that's okay. And you can, you can refrain, you can sit there, and you can just watch the church be the church. And you can meditate you can, on what's been said. You can, you can pray. Uh, and then after we take communion this morning, um, we'll sing a song of response. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for, the, for your word. And even though it's tough sometimes, we know that it is true. We know that it is right. And I pray that we would trust that more than we would trust our culture. I pray that we would trust you, that we'd hear, hear your voice and follow your voice. So teach us your heart, God. Show us your heart now as we respond to you. Build up your church this morning, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.